And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 232 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. So welcome into the program, everyone. Uh, It's going to be an interesting episode today. Uh, Plenty of Bruins and Celtics. It's kind of going to be the uh, focus today, but we got some Revolution, got some Sox, got a small little bit of Patriots. March Madness is right around the corner, so we'll get to that as well. Um, Do want to say thanks to Sean Montgomery for uh, coming back on the pod last week uh, for Guest Friday. It was uh, good talking some Bruins with him. Uh, put that episode up um, Saturday night and Sunday. If you um, have not gotten a chance to listen, you can go do that. Uh, Sean and I mostly just talked about the Bruins and their trade deadline additions. Uh, briefly touched on some of the other trades from around the NHL as well. So I would like to say this week, as you may have noticed on the uh, social pages, we're doing another uh, mailbag this week for the podcast. So you have uh, until Friday at uh, 10 a.m. to send me in uh, any sports questions you want. Do not have to be Boston sports related. They can be any sports questions um, that you have. So looking forward to that on Friday. Hopefully we get a good amount of questions and I think we're going to get into it. Um, I do want to say a little programming note. Things are going to be a little bit uh, wacky next week. Uh, Guest Friday will be um, put out on Tuesday instead of Friday. I am uh, doing a March Madness preview, so that will be out likely on Tuesday. We'll do the regular podcast um, on Monday. Just wanted to let you guys know that that will be a change in the schedule next week, so we won't have Guest Friday on Friday next week. Um, We will instead have it on Tuesday, so I just wanted to make that known, so we're going to get into it. Uh, We're going to start with the Celtics. figure we get the uh, difficult stuff out of the way first um, with the Celtics uh, seemingly in a little bit of a slide. Uh, 3-3 since the All-Star break. Uh, The team has suffered back-to-back pretty disappointing losses, uh, both at home. You know, Friday's game was probably... One of the one of the if not the worst loss of the season, uh, Celtics racing out to a twenty eight point lead in the first half against the Nets, and the Nets come all the way back and beat the Celtics um, in the fourth quarter, end up winning by ten one fifteen one hundred five. So, um, just a really disappointing game, I think from from all aspects. Um, and then the Celtics, you know, another disappointing loss last night, a double OT loss to the Knicks, you know, a team that has actually given the Celtics some issues this year. The Knicks have uh, won three out of four against the Celtics this year. A couple of um, overtime games, and then a game, uh, a cup, and then a game last week um, that they won at the at the Garden in New York. So, you know, it's disappointing. Um, I think is the good word to to use as to what you've seen from the Celtics uh, post-All-Star break. Now, I think this is not a team that 
this is not the first time that they've gone through kind of a rough stretch, you know, where maybe they've lost three in a row. You know, there was a point that earlier this year that they lost five out of six um, around Christmas. So, you know, I think it's not it's not absolutely the worst thing that's ever happened um, to the team this year. You know, I know that it feels like it because the Celtics are now, you know, in second place in the East, a game and a half behind the Bucs. And I think, you know, coming to terms with possibly the reality of maybe needing to go on the road, um, potentially in a game seven in the conference final. But, you know, I think that, again, there's a lot that can happen between now and then. That's assuming that the Celtics and the Bucks get to the conference finals. That's assuming that the series goes to seven games. And it's just like, I think that, that's a discussion that we don't need to be having now because that's not something that's going to affect the team right now. Um, and I will just say, just the last thought on that, the Celtics won a game seven on the road last year in the conference finals. So I don't really understand why it needs to be such an important thing that they need home court in game seven because they didn't have it last year and they won. So I think just getting back to what we've seen from the team in really the game since the all-star break is not a good enough energy. You know, I think it's clear that you could see in the games before the break. I think most notably the games against the Sixers and the Grizzlies where the Celtics were, you know, shorthanded and they needed to come up with, their guys needed to come up with big games with key players being out. And the Celtics did that. You know, I think really, it was their strength in numbers that they could be able to get wins like that and be competitive when they weren't fully healthy. And I think, you know, this is might sound weird, but I think part of the problem is not only did this team have a, you know, eight day break between games, they also got guys back healthy. And I know what people are thinking that, okay, if all your guys are back healthy, you should, in theory, be even better. But I think that the issue with that is guys' roles have changed, and they've changed dramatically. You know, you look at someone like a Grant Williams or a Mike Muscala, for example, you know, their minutes have pretty much gone way down. You know, I know Grant Williams played a lot of minutes last night in the Celtics game against the Knicks, but you have guys that, you know, were playing major minutes, you know, starting minutes. Derek White, for example, you know, he was playing starting minutes, you know, with Marcus Smart being out all those weeks. And now, you know, he's kind of relegated more to a bench role. Now, I don't think that that's affecting his play necessarily because I still think he's doing a lot of things right. But I think when you have a group that I think is set in playing the way that they're going and then guys come back into the lineup it changes things and I think we would like to think that it would be a seamless transition when Jalen Brown Marcus Smart come back into the lineup but it's not really worked that way and I think the Celtics kind of have to rediscover some of that energy that they had before the all-star break and the energy that they were playing shorthanded and I know that it's easier said than done but, you know, guys are 
guys' roles are, are going back to kind of what they usually would be. And I think it's 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 diff it's been difficult trying to get guys back into roles. And you know, I know this isn't the total reason why they've kind of been slipping since the All-Star break. I also think that the defensive intensity isn't where it needs to be. You know, you saw it a little bit in last night's game. You know, the Celtics kind of battened down the hatches defensively late in that game to get it tied and get it to overtime. But it's like, that needs to be the way that they play defense all the time. And if you looked at the way that they've played defensively in some of these games, and some of these even wins, guys are getting to the basket way too easily. You know, the Celtics defenders are, you know, flat-footed. Guys are blowing past them. You know, Emmanuel quickly took over the game last night. And I just, as good of a player as he is, and as much of a, you know, Celtics killer as he is, it's unacceptable the way that they were playing defense last night. And it just, it needs to be a concerted effort across the board. It can't be every once in a while. It has to be every possession. And I understand that that's pretty much impossible, but this is a team that's built on its defense. And if they're just going to freely let guys go to the basket, you're going to be losing games. You know, if you're going to be playing around with games in the first half, in the third quarter, and blowing leads, you know, <laughs> there's no reason to feel confident in this team. And that's a really scary proposition that, you know, this is a team that knows how good they are. They know that they need to play a certain way. And, you know, for some reason, they just go away from that at certain points where, you know, you see a possession or two where guys just are not competing defensively. You saw that a couple times in the third quarter. And it was like the Celtics went up, what was that, like 14 or 12 in the third quarter, there are like back-to-back -back plays where there's no defensive intensity. Knicks get a, an open lane to the basket. Someone gets a wide open three because someone doesn't, you know, communicate properly. And it's like five points right there. And the 14-point lead is cut down to seven or something like that. And it's like every possession matters in the postseason. You know, you can, in theory, get away with this because it's the regular season, but it's like possessions matter in the postseason. And if you're taking possessions off defensively, teams are going to kill you. And I just, I, I don't understand where kind of all the energy went. And it's seeping into the offensive game as well, where there's not as much ball movement. You know, guys are standing around too much. Guys are waiting for other guys to make plays. And there needs to be more consistency. You know, yes, guys need to shoot better, but it's like you got to be more forceful with what you're trying to do offensively. And I felt like too much late in the game last night, Jason Tatum is, you know, staying out on the perimeter, taking threes. And it's just taking threes is part of Jason's game. And I understand that, but it's not the best part of his game. The best part of his game is when he's getting downhill getting to the basket, attacking the attacking the rim, and whether he's going to the basket, getting fouled, going to the basket, throwing it down, laying it up, or even making a play for another guy. There wasn't enough of that in overtimes last night. Way too often it's take the ball one-on-one -on -one isolation, 
miss a three. And it's just, they can't play that way. The way that they've played the last two games, you're going to lose in the second round of the playoffs if you're playing like that. And it's just, I think that they know and the whole team knows and we all know as fans, that's not acceptable. You know, I think that very clearly it is difficult to get back to the NBA Finals in the NBA. It's not the easiest thing to do, but I think this is a team that needs to refocus because if this doesn't change, this is a team that could, you know, run out of gas in the first and second quarter. That's just a turn of phrase. I'm not meaning that they're tired, but it's just you have to play with more intensity. You have to play with more consistency. And, you know, I kind of am at a point where there's not really, I don't know if there's a coaching thing that can change. Because at the end of the day, this is a core group that knows what's expected. They know what they're supposed to do. They know the way that they're supposed to play basketball. And I think that's the frustrating part is it's sometimes that gets lost. And I think, you know, I don't know if people want to blame the coaching staff for things like this. That's legit. But at the same time, this is a group that's been together with three head coaches. And they've had this problem with all three of the head coaches, Brad Stevens, Emei last year, and Missoula this year. They've all had issues blowing leads. You know, this is not this is not a Missoula thing. This is not a this year thing. This has been an issue for a while for this team. And, you know, you saw it at times last year. I know that, yes, in the second half of the year, the Celtics turned it around, but they blew some playoff games, and they almost blew, you know, that game seven in, in Miami. So... You know, it's just, I don't know if there's really a grand fix with this team. It kind of is just a mindset thing that you have to come in with a mindset, with a killer instinct that in games like that, that you saw last night, Jason Tatum says, we're not going to lose this game. I'm going to put this team on my back. And I think he tries too much with the three-point shooting. And it's like, that's not going to get it done most nights. Most nights you're going to have to go into the paint and get fouled, get to the free throw line, you know, be aggressive, drive to the basket with purpose. And this is just a team that's not playing with enough purpose right now. Um, and I don't really know how that's going to change. Does it mean giving more minutes to, you know, your energy guys, Peyton Pritchard? You know, Blake Griffin, do you give minutes to those guys? Because I think when they had to play minutes, when guys were hurt, they responded and they responded well. And I just think, yes, I understand that you want to tighten your playoff rotation. But at the same time, if there are guys that just don't have it energy wise, you take them out of games. You give other guys opportunities because, you know, I don't know. I think you're going to get to a point in the playoffs where you're going to need a couple of your energy guys to steal some games, you know, to give you an off the bench, great shooting night or something like that. And I think, you know, I think I'm just kind of out of answers uh, for this particular type of basketball where 
the Celtics just seem comfortable firing away three-pointers and, you know, sitting on their lead and not, you know, playing the way that they need to play. And it just is, again, you know, it's, it's scary because this is a team that's capable of winning the NBA championship. And it's like, honestly, as, as crazy as this sounds, I feel like if their mindset is we're going to win the championship and the mindset is where it needs to be, I don't think there's a team that can beat them. But the problem is that mentality, that mindset is not there all the time. And I think, who knows, does it have something to do with, the, with an opponent? I would hope not because the Knicks are a good basketball team. You know, as much as the Nets don't have KD and Kyrie, they're a solid basketball team. You know, this is not like they're struggling against, you know, the Magic or a team that's, you know, not making the playoffs. These are playoff teams that they're losing games to and teams that you could possibly see. And it just, this team needs to get up for all these games. This cannot be a, you know, mentally taking a night off because that's dangerous. So, you know, it'll be curious to see because the Celtics have no time to feel sorry for themselves. They got a game tonight in Cleveland. You know, it's a game that I think you could possibly see a lot of, you know, bench guys get minutes because it is a back-to-back and you're traveling. So I don't think the injury report's been put out yet, but I think do expect a lot of guys to be taking the game off tonight. So, you know, if that's the case, then it kind of goes into a, you see what you can get with the bench guys, whoever starts, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I don't think Al Horford plays tonight, you know, if Rob Williams is still dealing with the hamstring, can't imagine that he plays. So it probably is a big opportunity for, you know, Muscala, Blake Griffin, Luke Cornett, you know, do you see, do you see opportunities for those guys? So that's kind of what I look forward to or look to tonight. Um, because, you know, something's got to change with this team. And who knows, it could be an all-star break thing that eight days off, you know, reacclimating guys to the rotation has been more of a challenge than they thought it would be. But this is a team that really needs to get it together because they're not going to be able to fall on the crutch of being at home. They're going to be away for seven of the next eight games, uh, including tonight. So, Again, you know, I don't know if there's really a big magical fix that they need. It's just they need to play harder. They need to have a better mindset. You know, they need to be able to play the game that, the way that they're expected to play. And I think there's only so much that Joe Missoula can say. There's only so much that he can do. At a certain point, the players need to figure it out. And realize that you have to bring it every single night. You know, because if they don't, if this type of basketball continues, this team's going home in the second round. You know, this team is, is going to lose in the second round if this continues to happen. So, but again, like I said, this is a team that's gone through rough stretches before. And they've been able to bounce back, you know. You look at after the Celtics, you know, lost three in a row, 
to the Magic, the Heat, and the Knicks at the end of January. The Celtics go, went on a, you know, if I take a look at the all the games before the All-Star break, the Celtics were able to win 7 of 9 after losing 3 in a row. You look at the 5 out of 6 in December, Celtics responded to that by winning 4 in a row. Celtics lose 2 in a row at the beginning of the new year. They rip off 9 straight wins. So this is not a team that, you know, I know that a lot has been said on this podcast so far that, you know, concerned about them. But I think that they're a team that's been able to prove that they've been able to withstand, you know, some of these losses. So, you know, it's a huge opportunity. You know, there are games coming up on the road against teams that really aren't very good, but... This is not a team that should be taking any teams lightly. Um, and I think, you know, anytime you go on a road trip, which it's coming up, the Celtics are going to have six in a row away from the Garden. You know, it's, you got to come out of there with some wins. You know, this is a team that's now, you know, chasing the Bucks for that number one seed. Now is the number one seed as important as, you know, <laughs> People think it is. I don't necessarily think so. You know, I think... I'm not trying to say that, oh, you should be comfortable with the two seed. You know, I think definitely if the number one seed is up for grabs, you go try to grab it. But at the same time, this team just needs to be playing better team basketball. And they need to be more cohesive as a group. And to me, that's the more important thing than trying to get a number one seed and trying to get, you know home court for the conference finals, because that's really, to me, that's looking too far ahead. And that's not something that this team should be doing right now. Because clearly this is a team that's not taking other teams seriously. And so the number one seed is not something that they should be thinking about right now. Because it's just, I don't know, it's just they're more important things than the number one seed. So you know, we'll, we'll see what happens tonight this week. Celtics are in Cleveland tonight. They return home against Portland, and then they will host, or excuse me, then they will be on the road in Atlanta on Saturday night, which starts their six-game road trip. So I think that probably will do it. You know, like I said tonight, I would expect a lot of guys to be, to uh, not be playing. Um, I think just with a second of a back-to-back, you know, Marcus Smart looked a little gimpy at the end of last night's game, so don't know if he plays. I don't want to speculate, but I think there is a good chance that the Celtics could be without a bunch of uh, regulars tonight, so we'll see how they respond, and then, you know, they got to play the uh, Trailblazers on Wednesday, Damian Lillard, who's scoring all the points in the NBA, so... Uh, we'll see what the Celtics can come up with. So I think we're going to move on, talk about something a little more positive, the uh, Boston Bruins. Uh, tremendous uh, trade deadline. You know, Sean and I talked about um, earlier this weekend, Bruins have won 10 straight games and look every bit the part of the best team in hockey. You know, it's, uh, I continue to say this, you know, all year long, that this is a team that's winning in every different way. You know, blowouts, 
low-scoring games, games where goaltenders need to take over, you know, games against big-time superstars, you know, high-scoring games, you know, it's just every which way this team is winning, and, you know, it's just tremendous to watch them, you know, it just is a team that just looks comfortable every single night they're playing, and even on days that they don't look their best, you still know that they're going to find a way to either win the game or get back into a game, and, you know, I just... It's, you know, it's great to talk about them as good as they are now, but I think obviously what matters is the postseason. But I do think that just playing the right way, you know, taking teams' best shots and being able to beat them, you know, it's just tremendous, you know. And you you would think that this is a team that didn't really need any type of, you know, change to their roster. You know, this is a team that you went into the trade deadline being like, okay, what do they really have to do? You know, it's already a really strong team. And Don Sweeney, the front office, pretty much said, F that. You know, we are going to go all in. We are going to improve this roster, you know, to the point that it's, you know, almost unbeatable, you know, and I think just perfect additions with Hathaway and Orlov, you know, we've talked about them quite a bit, but, you know, Orlov's been amazing. You know, I think that, <laughs> I think Sean and I were talking about in the podcast that Orlov in, I think it played 43 games with the Capitals this season, had scored three goals in his 43 games with the Capitals. In the five games with the Bruins, he already has three goals, so... A guy that's just been awesome, you know, Hathaway, I think the point total is not exactly, is not exactly why the Bruins got him. You know, they're not getting him to score points and score goals, but he's been a good addition to the fourth line, you know, really giving them someone that can play a hard-nosed style, someone that's built for playoff hockey. And as much as I really was not a fan of him with the Capitals, he's someone that gives you... A little bit of nastiness and a little bit of, uh, you know, a-hole hockey where, you know, yeah, he's going to toe the line. He's going to get in guys' faces, you know, just kind of gives the Bruins another one of those guys who just is going to be a bear to play against. You know, the Bruins have a couple of those guys in the lineup and just the fact that they put him on the fourth line, you know, Orlov also has a little bit of that in his game too. And then the Bruins, you know top it all off by getting Tyler Bertuzzi, you know, obviously not the best injury news, I think particularly with Felino and Hall, you know, having to be out for a good period of time, you know, possibility that we don't see them back until the playoffs. But I just love the idea that the Bruins were like, we get this bad injury news. So how do we fix it? Okay, well, we go out and get someone that, you know, is going to fit in perfectly with this team. Someone that's going to give you high-end skill. Someone that's going to give you hard-nosed hockey. Someone that's going to give you a type of player that can get to inside ice. A type of player that can be a nuisance around the crease. And I think it's just, again, another perfect addition. Another you know guy in Tyler Bertuzzi that 
is a guy that just screams Bruins hockey when you see him play. Really hard worker, guy that's kind of been snake bit by injuries this year, but a guy that, you know, does everything you could want as a pest. You know, both in kind of the, the Brad Marchand, like, get-in-your-face type of way, but also a pest being in the, you know, offensive zone on the forecheck. You know, a guy that's going to battle for every inch of ice, and I think gives you the ability to, you know, geez, have another big-time offensive player in your lineup and someone that could play on the third line and a guy that scored 30 goals last year. So that's just all the additions have been perfect. They fit in perfectly. You know, Hathaway's two assists in five games. Orlov, three goals, six assists in five games. You know, and then Bertuzzi getting, getting an assist in his first game. So... It's just a team that up and down and just, they don't appear to really have any weaknesses, you know, and Linus Holmark just been unbelievable, you know, follows up the goalie goal with one of the best Bruins goaltending performances that I've ever seen, you know, in that game in Calgary with 54 saves, you know, just, they're just his, there just are no weaknesses, it seems like with this team, however, the one area that I am a little bit concerned about um, is the power play. Bruins have struggled in the last 10, 11, 12 games, and they've gone like 5 for 50 or something like that. And that's the one area that I think that needs to be improved and that needs to be clicking when they get to the playoffs. Because unfortunately, you know, unfortunately or unfortunately, however you want to say it, Playoff hockey is often determined by how you do on special teams. And I know that a lot is always said that five on five, five on five, you got to be good at five on five. But at the same time, you also need to have great special teams that can take advantage of penalties and take advantage with, with scoring on power plays. And the Bruins, on the other hand, have had no issues killing penalties. They've been one of the best penalty-killing teams in the last couple of years. You know, statistically, near the top of the league almost all year. And, you know, that's not the area that concerns me about special teams. It's the power play. And, you know, it's it's crazy because you look at the talent that the Bruins can skate out there with both power play units. And you would think that, okay, this is a power play that, you know, should never go through you know, stretches like that, and, you know, I think it's something that, I think it's something they'll be able to figure out at some point, um, because I think they're just too talented to be struggling for a long period of time, but I do think that it's something that you have to get right, because, you know, that is going to come back and kill you in the postseason if you don't score enough on the power play. You know, I think it's just part of the game that, you know, teams that win the Stanley Cup, teams that do well in the postseason almost always are teams that score on the power play. And yes, I know that you can say, okay, well, the Bruins won the Stanley Cup in 2011 with one of the worst power plays in postseason history. You know, the only team, and I, I still think the only team to win a postseason series without scoring a power play goal now you know, that's legitimate, but at the same time, you know, I think it's a unit that 
has a lot of skilled players and they should be doing better. But I think at the same time, you know, it might just be how it goes and it might just be the way of the ebbs and flows of the NHL season that you can just go through a tough stretch. And, you know, the great thing is the Bruins have, you know, 19, 20 games left in the season. So it's not like the postseason starting next week and they're in the midst of a power play slump. You know, I think that maybe there could be some personnel changes specifically on that first unit because I think that's the unit that's out there for the majority of the time. Um, and I think, you know, some nights they're getting chances, but I think some nights it's a little bit careless with the puck. Sometimes guys overpass, you know, that's possible. You know, we see that every once in a while with this team, but I think really that is the only area that I guess concerns me going into the playoffs. You know, I think the Bruins are set up in a way that they can play any, any style. You know, they can play that heavy hitting game. They can play that fast speed, you know, skill game. You know, I think they're able to do both of those things. Um, so I just think great work on those trades. Really don't have an issue with trading the draft picks because, you know, the players that you have on your team now, they're going to help you now more than picks are going to help you, you know. And, yeah, the Bruins are not in a great spot maybe as compared to other teams in terms of their, you know, prospect pool. But at the same time, you're trying to win a championship here, you know. And I think hoarding your draft picks is not really going to – is not really going to – change anything necessarily you know i think that you have to recognize that you have an all-time team you know you're having an all-time season and i think you kind of owe it to the players and the fans to kind of be like okay this is our best chance to win a championship we're gonna you know go all in leave no stern no stone unturned um, and really kind of put it in the players' hands, you know. If the Bruins, at the end of this season, there's not going to be anyone that should say that the front office did not do enough to help this team win. So, obviously the deals were great, but, you know, getting the extension done for David Pasternak is certainly a, another, you know, great thing that they did on, I want to say it was Wednesday or Thursday, um, you know, trade deadline, the actual day was pretty quiet, but I think just a, a great deal for Pasternak. I think a little bit above what I thought he would have gotten maybe at the beginning of the season, but, you know, I think that it's a pretty fair deal, you know, and honestly, in four or five years, it's probably going to look even better than what it looks now. Um, but I think it just is great that the Bruins could get this done. You know, me personally, I never was really concerned, you know, I always figured that they were going to come to terms, you know, Pasta, I think, left a lot of the negotiating up to his agent and said, just get this done, you know, and now he has the clarity and he'll be in Boston for the foreseeable future. So, you know, really glad that they could get that done. And, you know, now he can, David can, you know, truly focus on this season, not that he was ever, you know, unfocused. I don't think that ever was a problem, but I think just to have that mental clarity that, okay, I'm going to be here for the next eight years, you know, certainly helps. So 
I think that, you know, all the deals, it's great now. You know, the Bruins have a whole lot to figure out um, in the offseason. You know, I think looking at what their roster is going to look like, you know, I think according to Cap Friendly at the moment, the Bruins have about... Eleven, ten or eleven million um, in projected cap space um, for next summer. And do have some key free agents, um, you know, Orlov, Swayman, uh, Bertuzzi. You know, and if Bergeron and Krejci want to come back, you know, it's a, a Connor Clifton as well. You know, it's yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, how the Bruins can kind of finagle around some of those some of those issues so you know but at the same time it's a summer issue it's not an issue that you need to be concerned about now the thing you'd be concerned about now is going to win that championship and i think you know sharpening your game by the end of the regular season so that when the playoffs come you are ready to go so i really you know would spend more time on the bruins but it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of things to focus on, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, who kind of gets minutes down the stretch, um, you know, I think with injuries to Hall and Felino, you could possibly see some call-ups, um, you know, Jacob Lauko played really well the other night, um, you know, I'd hope that he can get some more minutes, you know, you'll probably see a lot of A.J. Greer as well, um, but I think, yeah, it's possible you could see some guys from Providence, you know, at some point, um, you know, I think at the very end of the season, you certainly are going to see, you know, Merkulov, Lysel, a couple of those guys, absolutely, because I think, you know, with the Bruins having the record that they have, they almost certainly are going to clinch, you know, a number one seed fairly early, so it will be an opportunity for some of those guys um, to get minutes, but I also think It'll be a good opportunity for the team as they can rotate defensemen in um, and try to figure out the absolute best pairings for the playoffs um, because the Bruins have been, you know, playing Orlov with different guys almost every single game he's played. So that will be an opportunity that the Bruins can kind of see what works best. You know, he's played with McAvoy. He's played with, I think he played with Lindholm. He played with Carlo. I think that he's played with almost everyone in the, on the defense, uh, except for Grizzly and Clifton. But, you know, I think that's kind of what the last, you know, 20 games or so are going to be for, um, for the rest of the season that the Bruins are trying to, you know, test out certain things, see what's going to work, and then they can have an idea of what's going to be the best lineup um, come game one of the playoffs. So the Bruins do have a good amount of days off as they last played Saturday. They will not play again until Thursday this week. Um, but then they are totally and just completely just are going to be, you know, blindsided by games the rest of the season. Um, the Bruins have 20 games left and are pretty much going to be playing every other day. You know, the next, I believe, if I'm looking at the schedule correctly, the Bruins' next break of more than two days is not going to be until between April 2nd and April 6th. So it's just pretty much game every other day 
uh, plenty of back-to-backs. So it will be an opportunity for the Bruins, I think, to probably give guys some games off um, toward the end of the regular season, I would think, just because, you know, you want to make sure your guys are as fresh as they can be. Uh, so this week, you got Edmonton coming into the Garden on Thursday. Bruins and Oilers played pretty exciting game last Monday night. Bruins won 3-2. to two. So Connor McDavid and company comes to the Garden Thursday night. And then the Bruins will host Detroit on Saturday afternoon. Then they will go to Detroit on Sunday afternoon. So three games this week for the Bruins. Two against Detroit. See how Tyler Rattusi does against his former team. So I think probably going to do it for the Bruins. Um, yeah, covered the schedule this week. So I think we're going to get into the Red Sox a little bit. Spring training has been uh, fairly kind to uh, the Red Sox at this point. Uh, the Red Sox will uh, continue spring training games this afternoon against the Detroit Tigers, 105 start. Chris Sale will be making his spring training debut. So that will be something to watch for today. Um, there are a couple of injuries that are kind of a little complicating. James Paxton um, had to leave his spring training start the other day with um, a hamstring injury. May not be ready for opening day. Uh, the Red Sox still have yet to have uh, Brian Bayo or Garrett Whitlock pitch in spring training. I think with Whitlock, that's kind of to be expected as he recovers from his hip injury, um, I want to say. And then Brian Bayo, it sounds like, will be unlikely to make the opening day roster as he had a forearm issue that I think flared up a couple of weeks ago. So doesn't seem likely that the two of them will make, or the three of those starting pitchers will make the um, opening day roster. But I think, yes, that's what I wanted to say. So the Red Sox obviously do have some kind of openings, um, I guess you could say, but um, I think certainly you could see Nick Pavetta in the rotation. You know, Cutter Crawford, that's who I was going to mention. Um, so he was someone that pitched a little bit for the Red Sox toward the end of last year, uh, had three shutout innings yesterday. So it seems like in all likelihood he may get um, a rotation spot and probably Pavetta as well. Um, so it will be interesting to see, you know, how the Red Sox configure that rotation. You know, you could possibly see Tanner Houck maybe in a starter, um, in a starting capacity with, you know, some of these injuries, which it's not great, honestly, but, you know, I think that it's early enough in the spring that the Red Sox can be able to kind of find the right mix of which guys to start, you know, get them into a rhythm and figure out what's going to be the best rotation. You know, you got to think that Chris Sale and Corey Kluber are likely to be your one-two, and then Pavetta will be in there. You know, Hauk will be in there. Um, Cutter Crawford will probably be in there. So as I've said kind of all along, it's really going to depend on the health of the rotation if the Red Sox can you know, get the quality pitching that they want. Um, but it has been good to see them winning some games, you know, hitting some grand slams 
we've hit a, a couple of them in the last couple of days. Um, and, you know, just paying attention to how the guys offensively are doing. Uh, Tristan Casas seems to be hitting fairly well in spring. You know, hard to really know about these guys moving forward. Um, some of these guys will be going to play at the World Baseball Classic. So the Red Sox may be playing some guys that you uh, have never seen before or never heard of before. So, you know, that will be interesting. But I think this time will be interesting to see, you know, which some of the guys who are, you know, playing, do they, you know, take like a roster spot? Do they impress the Red Sox enough in, in camp to take a roster spot, you know? Raimel Tapia is one of the guys that I thought was an interesting signing that the Red Sox brought in a couple weeks ago, had played with uh, the Blue Jays last season, and is someone that gives gives you good outfield depth. So he's someone that I think could take advantage of some of the guys playing at the World Baseball Classic, that he can get some playing time. I'm assuming that he is not playing at the World Baseball Classic. I could possibly be wrong, but I think you know, he's a guy that could benefit from some extra time. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Red Sox configure everything. Um, catching will be interesting. Reese McGuire, you know, I thought was pretty good when he came over from uh, Chicago at, at the trade deadline last year. So, you know, he's someone that will be interesting to watch. You know, I think paying attention to, you know, Turner, Duvall, some of those guys um, in the outfield because they think it's a Red Sox team that is going through some changes offensively. And I think, you know, making sure that you have the um, good, the, the decent amount of hitting, you know, and power that you can get, you know, I think losing Bogarts and Martinez, it's really going to be up to, you know, Duvall, Turner, you know, Yoshida, maybe not necessarily in the power department, but I think it's those guys, can they be, you know, adequate replacements so that you don't feel like, okay, we're really missing a lot of production. So, you know, I think that just paying attention to how some of these guys do, you know, yes, the Red Sox have not lost in the spring training. It's not something that I would personally read too much into, um, but it just is good to see that they're winning games. You know, they are figuring out, you know, what they have with some relievers getting innings. You know, I think it was Kenley Jansen that pitched for the first time the other day. You know, just kind of getting guys into a rhythm um, so that when the regular season starts, they can, you know, be up and ready to go. So a 4-1 win against the Marlins yesterday. Red Sox will host the Tigers this afternoon. Um, and then, yeah, have games on Tuesday against Atlanta. Thursday, the Red Sox will play the Yankees for the first time in spring. And then they will play Toronto, Minnesota, and Baltimore. Um, and then the Yankees again by the end of the week. So, you know, games are going on pretty much every day. So that's kind of how it's going to go until uh, right before the start of the season, you know, March 30th is the Red Sox first game against the Baltimore Orioles. March 28th is their final spring training game. So, you know, I, you know, said this to someone the other day that 
the Red Sox are opening up a pretty, pretty soft schedule, I would say. You know, the first nine games the Red Sox have against Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Detroit. You know, three teams that, you know, in theory, the Red Sox should be better than all three of these teams. But, you know, again, hard to know. But I think it is an opportunity for the Red Sox to be able to kind of hit the ground running and hopefully be able to get through those nine games with a winning record. You know, I think if you can win five, six, seven of those games, you know, that will probably go a long way. Um, you know, obviously, it's hard to know. You know, at the beginning of seasons, you know, crazy things can happen. But I just think looking at the opponents, the Red Sox should be able to get off to a good start. You really can, really would hope, would hope they can. Um, but I think, again, you know, it's, this is what spring training is for. You know, to get guys in the right mindset to play and you know, figure out the best lineup configuration, figure out the best defensive configuration, you know, hope that you can figure out really pinpoint roles for different guys in the bullpen, you know, hope that rotation can stay healthy and can give you solid innings, you know, and make sure that the catching is going to be as good as it can be. I think Jorge Alfaro was a good addition by the Red Sox. Um, I think a minor league deal or something like that. They brought him in right before spring training. Um, so he's something that I think could help the catching situation with McGuire. And, you know, yeah, I think obviously a lot of question marks, but I think a lot of it with this team comes down to health. And I think that, you know, yeah, it's too bad that you've had some injuries affect some of the rotation, but I think the Red Sox do have enough guys that they can withstand some of these injuries. You know, you'd hope that with Locke, can be able to perform and be able to pitch by the time spring train or by the time the uh, season opener comes around. You know, Paxton and Bayo might be a little bit a little bit of time before we see them in the regular season. But I think it's you know all signs I think are mostly good uh, for this team in spring training. So Chris Sale again starting this afternoon. See how he does. Be curious to see how much he pitches. You know, Carter Crawford yesterday pitched three innings. You know, he's a potential starter. Kluber pitched two innings yesterday, um, which was his first spring start. So be curious to see what Chris Sale can do today. So that's a one o'clock game on Nesson if you're interested. Um, so I think we're going to move on a little bit. We're going to move on, talk about the revolution a little bit, the revolution with um, another win in their home opener on Saturday, a 3 nothing win against the Houston Dynamo. Revs, of course, won their first game in Charlotte 1-0 the previous weekend. So the Revs are starting 2-0 for the first time in team history, if you can believe that, which is kind of crazy. Uh, the Revolution winning their first game in Charlotte, which was, I believe, the first time since 2013 that the Revs have won their opening game. So... Just another great uh, offensive showing by the Revs in this game. Branded by uh, Dylan Barrero, really solid in this game. Bobby Wood also gets a goal as well. So really good to see this team getting off to a winning, a winning start this season. You know, I think that I've probably you know beaten to death talking about the start of last season that the Revs had all these 
you know, competitions and things like that and really felt like they couldn't get off to, you know, didn't get off to the start that they wanted to, but they certainly have this year, you know, back-to-back clean sheets. For Georgie Petrovich, the Revs look pretty solid defensively, you know, and offensively, I think, is a team that's performing exactly the way that you want them to. And I think being a team that can have multiple guys that can be threats, you know, is really going to be what makes the difference for this year's team. And I think they had some trouble integrating guys last year, but I mean, if you can have Guerrero, Bobby Wood affecting the offense, you can still have Carlos Heel as kind of that setup guy in the middle, and you still have Gustavo Bo, Frioni as well. So, you know, I think if the Revs can build a solid attack with multiple guys that can hurt you, it's going to make the team a lot more dangerous. Um, so, really pleased with the start that the Revs have had. Uh, they will travel to LA to play LAFC Sunday night at 10.30, so a late start there, but really pleased with what we've seen from the Revolution so far. Um, you know, defensively, I think there's definitely going to be some definitely going to be some changes. You know, I think certain guys playing more or playing less than they did last year and, you know, making sure that there's enough, you know, solid chemistry in that room that guys aren't, you know, upset about not playing. But I think it's a group that I think if you can be a solid, just a solid defensive group, this team does not need to be an elite defensive group. You know, I think you have Georgie Petrovich, one of the best goalies in MLS, um, in the small sample size that he's played. Um, you don't need to have a necessarily a top-notch defense. You do want to make sure that you have guys being as solid as they can be. Um, but I think you've seen Dave Romney, Henry Kessler, uh, being those two, being those guys who have started the first two games um, in the middle there defensively. You know, Brandon By, Dewan Jones on the outside. Not really too much of a surprise there. But I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Revolution deal with all these, you know, different guys that they can roll out there in the attack. You know, Bobby Wood has played in both games. Brioni has played in both games. You know, you haven't even seen Gustavo Poe yet. So it'll be interesting to see when he gets in there. Noel Buck has gotten an opportunity. He's played both games this year. Um, and then, you know, yeah, you got your mid- midfielders with Polster, Keel, and then Barrero, obviously, with the goal and the assist in Saturday's game. So you just hope the good times roll for this team. They can continue to kind of build a solid attack and build an attack that has multiple guys that can score. So I think you should look for that to continue um, in Sunday's game, LAFC. Revs will be on the road for that game, and then they'll be back home against Nashville the following weekend. Revs do have quite a bit of uh, home games in the month of April, so hopefully they continue to get off to a good start. That would be great for this team that I think really was a good start. You know, it was really going to be massive for this team, so hopefully that can continue. I'm going to get off to... Get off of the revolution, take on a little bit of uh, Patriot stuff. There's not 
a whole lot of stuff, to be honest. You know, the draft combine was uh, last week and into this weekend. You know, I think a lot of guys, a lot of wide receivers in particular, um, definitely made headlines. Um, but I think I understand that, yes, the combine is, you know, exciting to watch. But I do also think that, yeah, it's great to see that these guys can kind of show off their their physical traits and physical abilities. But at the same time, it's not exactly, you know, football it's kind of just drills, so it's like, I think you don't want to get too over the top with your thoughts of, oh my god, this guy's going to be amazing, because we don't know. There are guys that could put on great shows at the Combine and not really be solid NFL players, and then on the other hand, you know, you can have guys who maybe quote-unquote disappoint, but have solid NFL careers, so it's like, yes, it is a fun opportunity to be able to see some of these guys, all these guys that maybe you watched in college, but I think until we get to see them on the field and playing in a game, it's kind of hard to build any type of opinions. You know, I think that there are some guys that were impressive, some guys that I think talked about um, their meetings with the Patriots. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba was kind of one of those guys. Uh, was wide receiver at Ohio State this past season. Um, and a lot of these guys, I think, impressed. Dave Flowers did, too. Um, Josh Downs was another wide receiver that I heard people uh, talking about. So I do think it is indeed possible the Patriots take a wide receiver in the NFL draft. I don't know if I would do it in the first round just because I think if you have an opportunity to take one of the kind of elite tackles in this year's draft, I think you go for it. You know, it'll be curious to see what the Patriots do in free agency. You know, I think certainly that's going to affect how they draft um, because I think certainly there are guys that they could sign in free agency. You know, Ronnie Stanley played for the Ravens last year. Orlando Brown who played for the Chiefs. Or no, I'm sorry. Orlando Brown who played for the Chiefs had previously played for the Ravens. Um, sorry, I said Ronnie Stanley. Um but yeah, Orlando Brown, uh, Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers, you know, those kind, those guys are kind of two possibilities that I think the Patriots could look at in free agency. You know, I think that the Patriots would be more likely to look in the draft for wide receiver help or in a trade. I guess I'm just not really wild about the free agent receivers, and certainly there could be guys that become available because of roster cuts. Um, you know, someone brought up Allen Robinson on social media the other day. I'm not sure I'm wild about that. You know, Keenan Allen could be someone that could possibly be a roster uh, cap casualty. Um, so I think there could be a lot of, you know, names that get released. But I think we also have to remember that sometimes just because we recognize a name does not necessarily mean that, you know, they're a... A solid player or they'd be a good fit you know I don't think Allen Robinson really would be a good fit on this team at all you know I don't really think that he's that great of a receiver you know I think he's had his injury issues he's had his issues with being consistent I think coming over from Chicago to the Rams you know I kind of thought he'd be better but you know I just think that the Patriots should be looking elsewhere for uh, receiver help and I think whether that's in a trade whether that's in the draft you know it'll be interesting to see 
Um, but I think you know, plenty of opportunities to improve the team. Um, I actually meant to say at the top of the podcast that uh, you can check out my written content at Musket Fire. Um, I wrote an article last week about the uh, about three reasons to be optimistic about the Patriots this season. Um, you know, one of the things I highlighted was kind of the continued development of young players on the roster. And I think, you know, that was more talking about the guys that are on the roster at the moment, but certainly some guys that could be included in there would be the draft picks that the Patriots make in April. So be very curious to see what happens between now and then. Could you see a trade? You know, I think that's possible. You know, I think it could be possible the Patriots could try to move back, get some more picks, because I believe that they have 11 picks in the draft this year. So be interesting to see what they do with some of that ammo, whether they trade back, whether they want to trade up, or excuse me, trade for like a big-time receiver. I could see that happening. You know, Jerry Judy could be a name that you could watch. You know, T. Higgins, I know that the Bengals GMs made it very clear that they're not moving him. So, you know, he's probably out, but you could take a look at some of those other guys that could possibly be available um, in trades to help improve the offense. So I think that's probably, you know, going to be it for the Patriots. There's not really a whole lot, you know, free agency will start soon. I believe it would start at some point next week, but we'll obviously keep you updated on that. So I think with uh, done being done with all the Boston teams, um, I think we're going to take a quick look at some, oh, here we go. We got some breaking news into the podcast. Uh, the Saints are signing Derek Carr, um, according to ESPN's Diana Rossini. That was reported about 45 minutes ago. So interesting move. So. You know, yeah, hold on for another crazy offseason, uh, which is kind of interesting. I thought I thought that Derek Carr didn't want to meet with the Saints. I thought that there was something interesting there. But anyway, he is expected to sign with the Saints. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that goes, reuniting with his former, former head coach, I believe, Dennis Allen, uh, with the Raiders. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out for them. So we're going to take a look. That's um, actually, why don't we just take a look at some NFL notes while, while we're here uh, talking about the NFL or a couple of um, players that I think are, have been released or are going to be released. Uh, the Vikings cut their leading tackler, um, Eric Kendricks, in a salary cap move. You could see a lot of these moves this offseason. Uh, it sounds like the Rams are going to release Leonard Floyd if they cannot find a trade partner for him. Uh, Dwayne Brown for the Jets is going to return for his 17th NFL season. Obviously, at the Combine, he had some uh, some quarterbacks making headlines. Anthony Richardson set a quarterback mark for the vertical and the broad jump, which, you know, again, is impressive what he can do physically, but you got to see whether it translates on the field. So I'm kind of curious to see what team he goes to. Um, oh, and then obviously... There was a little bit of Patriot news the other day that the Patriots are um, going to be cutting Brian Hoyer. Um, they think, not sure when, but he will be cut at some point. So, you know, clearly is going to open up another quarterback spot for the Patriots. I think 
could be a possibility that they bring in kind of a, a vet guy, you know, as Hoyer was. Um, you know, I think Brian really did. I think it was good having him around the years that he was here, and I think has always been a guy that's well-respected in the room, and I think his, his absence will certainly be missed, but I think it will be something to pay attention to if the Patriots uh, make any type of move in free agency if they bring in, you know, kind of an older veteran quarterback. So I think we're going to move over to Major League Baseball, take a look at any um, baseball notes. World Baseball Classic obviously will start uh, this week, I believe. Bryce Harper is expected to report to Phillies camp on Wednesday. So if we just take a quick look at the World Baseball Classic, um, Dominican Republic, you know, obviously they're uh, one of the most uh, loaded teams that I think we've ever seen. You know, Team USA, not a bad team either. Um, Japan also with Masataka Yoshida with the Red Sox. Be curious to see how he does um, in this event. I'm trying to figure out when it actually starts. So it actually starts tomorrow. There's a game on um, FS1, Netherlands, and Cuba uh, get started. So they're playing in um, I'm assuming like some type of round robin uh, type of thing. Trying to take a look at when Team USA is playing. It looks like they're playing Monday. Oh, shoot. Maybe I went too far. <laughs> so, yeah, World Baseball Classic will start uh, tomorrow at 11 a.m. Uh, Cuba and the Netherlands. And then there are three games tomorrow on the uh, FS stations, Panama, Chinese, Taipei, um, Australia, Korea, Panama, Netherlands. I'm trying to find when Team USA is playing. I'll be able should be able to find it at some point. Here we go, Saturday, March 11th, 9 o'clock on Fox. Uh, Team USA will play Great Britain. So there you go. <laughs> Wanted to find when that started. So, yeah, they'll be doing some kind of preliminary round, round, robin, whatever you want to call it. So that will be um, interesting to watch. So I think we're going to move over to the NBA, talk a little basketball and then go back to the NHL. So um, pretty exciting uh, Suns-Mavericks game yesterday. Suns beating the Mavs 130-126. Some, you know, bars going on after the game between uh, Luka Doncic and uh, Devin Booker. So that was kind of interesting to watch. I think uh, that's a potential first-round matchup in the playoffs, which would be really exciting. Um, Steph Curry returned to the Warriors lineup yesterday, but they lost to the Lakers. So we're going to take a look at the standings. You know, Bucks obviously, as we mentioned, in first place, a game and a half ahead of the Celtics. They finally lost on Saturday night, snapping their 16-game winning streak, but obviously they won last night. So they have a game and a half lead over the Celtics for that top seed. The Sixers are in third place, followed by the Cavs. In fourth, then the Knicks in fifth, Nets in sixth, and then in the play-in spots, you have the Heat, the Hawks, the Raptors, 
and the Wizards with the Pacers and the Bulls a game and a half back of that final play-in spot. In the Western Conference, Denver has widened their lead to six and a half games for the top spot in the West. Memphis, obviously, at second, Sacramento in third, Phoenix in fourth, Golden State has won um, a couple, has won a couple in a row. Uh, so they are in fifth place. The Western Conference is absolutely insane. You have the two seed and the 11 seed separated by eight games. You know, you have the two seed in the... It's wild. Yeah, or actually, no, this is probably a better indication. The four seed and the eight seed are separated. Uh, well, anyway, it's very close and very jumbled. It's crazy. So you're probably going to see different standings. Um, you're probably going to see the standings change every single day. Um, so yeah, Kings in third, Suns in fourth, Warriors in fifth, Timberwolves in sixth. And then in the play-in spots, the Mavericks, the Clippers, the Pelicans, and the Jazz. The Lakers are even. But it seems like the Jazz have the tiebreaker for that final playoff uh, play-in position. And then the Thunder and the Trailblazers are just a half game back of that final play-in spot. So <laughs> things are getting interesting. Um, some games on the NBA schedule tonight, obviously. Celtics and Cavs at 7 Sixers and Pacers play at 7, and then Portland and Detroit also play at 7, and then at 7.30 on NBA TV, Atlanta and Miami, 9 o'clock Toronto and Denver, and then 10 o'clock on NBA TV, New Orleans and Sacramento. So I think we're going to get to the NHL. Obviously, Sean and I touched on some of the trades uh, in the NHL around the trade deadline. Um, Jonathan Quick was one of the players that was traded from the Kings to the Blue Jackets, and then he was um, moved to the Golden Knights um, and played for the Golden Knights last night and won in their win against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, the Minnesota Wild were pretty active on the day of the deadline, making a couple trades including getting John Klingberg from the Ducks. Um, and so we're going to look at some of the games tonight. A couple games at 7.30, Edmonton and Buffalo, San Jose and Winnipeg at 8.30 of Calgary and Dallas, 9 o'clock Ottawa and Chicago, 10.30, Washington and Los Angeles, and then Nashville and Vancouver. So take a quick look at some of the, at the standings. Obviously, the Bruins setting the pace in the East. Uh, Toronto, second place. Tampa Bay, third. Uh, Toronto, five points ahead of Tampa Bay. So in all likelihood, that will be a first-round matchup. Be interesting to see who gets home ice. Tampa Bay has uh, struggled a little bit lately. They've lost five in a row. Carolina is atop the Metro with a two-point lead over the Devils. And the Rangers are in third with 79 points a little bit back. So in all likelihood, Rangers are locked into a first-round matchup with either the Devils or the Hurricanes. And then in the wild-card spots, you have New York and Pittsburgh. In the first two wild-card spots, uh, Buffalo, Ottawa, Florida, and Washington, just three points behind of that final playoff spot. In the Western Conference, Dallas leads the Central followed by Minnesota and Colorado. 
things are things are pretty much changing every single day um, in this conference, kind of like the NBA's Western Conference. Uh, the Golden Knights lead the Pacific and the conference with 82 points, followed by the Kings with 80, and then the Kraken with 78. In the wild card positions, Edmonton the first spot with 76 points, and then Winnipeg with 74. Nashville is six points back of the final playoff spot, but they do have three games in hand on the Jets and four on the Oilers. So potential for Nashville to make that interesting. But I think, like I said last week, this is a conference that, you know, one through eight, whatever you want to say, is probably going to be changing almost daily. You know, it's kind of crazy. So I think that pretty much all eight of those teams or nine, if you want to include Nashville, those are probably your playoff teams, but it's going to be anyone's guess where they finish um, in terms of seeding. So I think before we go, I wanted to give you guys kind of an update on where we are with March Madness. I told you guys we're going to have a uh, <clears throat> March Madness preview um, on Guest Friday next week. So we're going to take a look at I'm going to take a look at the um, the women's bracketology, but first we're going to take a look at championship week first and take a look at some of the teams that have um, already punched their tickets uh, to the tournament. So I'll take a look at some of the women's teams that have clinched berths in the Ohio Valley, Tennessee Tech, in the SoCon Conference, uh, Chattanooga in the Atlantic 10, St. Louis in the ACC, Virginia Tech, the SEC, South Carolina, Big 10, Iowa, Pac-12, Washington State, Big South, Gardner-Webb. So those are some teams that have already clinched. Conference tournaments will be going on this week, or continuing to go on this week for uh, the for the, for the women, and then, uh, or actually, no, I think it makes more sense to look at the, the no, we can look at the bracketology. I'll just kind of go through some of the teams. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them because that's going to take forever, but we'll take a look at the top overall seeds. South Carolina, Indiana, Virginia Tech, and Stanford, these are all according to uh, bracketology on the ESPN website if you want to take a look for yourself. So uh, the regions this year in the women's tournament, Greenville, South Carolina, and Seattle, Washington. So now we're going to take a look at the men's uh, championship week and uh, bracketology. There have been some championships Championships won already. I'll take a quick look. Took a look at this yesterday, actually. I didn't realize that there were teams that had already won their conference tournament. I thought that all the conference tournaments were this week, but nonetheless, we'll take a look. This will let me. Okay, here we go. Um, in the Northeast Conference, Fairleigh Dickinson gets a bid or won their conference championships, so they're automatically in. In the Ohio Valley, Southeast Missouri, 
Big South, UNC Asheville, Missouri Valley, Drake, and then the ASUN, the Kennesaw State Owls. So a couple teams already clinched spots to the tournament. So take a quick look at bracketology on the men's side. You can check this out for yourself on ESPN, top overall seed. According to Joe Lenardi is Kansas, and then the other number one seeds at the moment. So this is all kind of just prediction-based. This isn't, you know, confirmed. Um, the other number one seeds would be Alabama, Houston, and UCLA, with the regions being in Kansas City, or regional finals, I should say, being in Kansas City, Louisville, New York City, and Las Vegas. And the final four is in Houston. So obviously we'll have a lot more as the uh, conference tournaments happen this week, or most of them, most of the big ones happen this week for for the men. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, what we see during championship week. And then certainly after the brackets are revealed, I'll be doing a March Madness breakdown. So that will be something to look forward to. So um, I think it's probably going to do it for me this week. Um, look forward to some I look forward to you uh, you folks uh, submitting questions that you would like me to answer uh, so get those in by Friday at 10 a.m and uh, yeah we'll talk to you then